Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I got to tell you something, people. As I'm talking to my guest today, who is actually back east and in Philadelphia area, it's raining. The lovely Joanne's mom is on a plane from Philadelphia airport to come see us. So that means for the next week, I have two Italian ladies in my house, which means there's going to be a lot of loud talking. Now, Joanne always talks very silently, you know, when she's around. But when her mom comes out, I don't know why, she's going, ma, ma, and they just, they talk loud. And that's why I'm glad we have a two-level, because I can go upstairs so I can just barely hear them. Anyway, we have a great show. I'm, I'm very excited for today. Uh, my guest, uh, this is no lie, I've been listening to his music since... God, since I was in high school, and I remember seeing him at my college down at Richard Stockton College, and I, I have his name right, and it's he's a wonderful, amazing drummer. His name is Dave Yusikinen, or Yusikin, Yusikinen. <laughs> It's a varied versions of it. That's cool, Steve. Good to talk with you. Yeah, it's funny because because your name because I know I know your uh, your parents were from Finland. Correct. And Correct. I have I have Norwegian friends, so I've I've gotten some of the. Words yeah. like the when you look at the pronunciation, you sort of guess what it is. Like I have a guy yeah. named Bjornot Konskrud, and you, we just call him Bernie because no one can pronounce it. We know him, we learn it. But uh, I understand that. So, so it's raining in Philly today, huh? Uh, yeah, it's you know what, and it's supposed to rain for another week. So um, we haven't. Uh, we, we had a really mild winter compared to the last three or four, and um, but we're paying for it now because. The, uh, the sun just doesn't want to come out, and I wish I was on that plane to Southern California with your uh, with your mother-in-law. <laughs> well, I, well, I know <laughs> it's sunny out there. I know. Well, it's sunny, but it's actually supposed to be a lousy week for us. But uh, now I want to talk. Now you, you're you're from you grew up in Levittown, I believe. I grew up in Levittown. I did. Yeah, I lived a lot of years in Philly, in the city, but I grew up um, in Levittown. And oddly enough, as a kid. Uh, growing up in Levittown, we're kind of like in between New York City and Philadelphia. As a kid, I would spend more time in New York than I did in Philadelphia. And then as I got older and I like, started checking out bands and, you know, music is my, my first love. Uh, you know, I, I would hang out in Philadelphia and sneak in to see bands. And uh, so uh, and then I end up living there and playing music there and. You know, the rest of the story is history. <laughs> well, when, when did you find out? I know at a, at a young age, because I, I did some research on you. Yeah. You, you originally were a, a, you originally started out with a trumpet, right? Uh, yeah, I did. And I, well, you know, in, in elementary school, you know, they want to throw an instrument in your hand. My father was a big fan of Harry James and uh, Louis Armstrong. And of course, he's like, you know, you're going to play the trumpet. And um, so I, you know, it was my very first instrument. But, you know, I was, uh, uh, you know, I was born in 1956, and you know, I was uh, what uh, 10, 11 years old. Uh, 1964, when the, say the Beatles started happening, and um, I, um, you know, of course, I I wanted to play drums. I wanted to get involved with that, and uh, so uh, I moved on to play in a snare drum. And again, uh, it's just something that uh, I was like a, a fish in water doing that. Now, now, in high school, did you like? Did you join the band, like the marching band, or or did you no. start on your own band? I mean, how did you start this? Because you've had a, a, a very long career, and you know, there's. Mm. And it's funny. I've gotten to know a lot of drummers, and yeah, I and, saw that, and I think that's way cool. Like Rich Redmond's a friend of yours, and I see the great Kenny Aronoff, and yeah. 
and all these great people that you hang out with there you know that I've I, I, I follow as well and you know there's a lot of drummers that I'm, I'm a big fan of I'm oh you can learn from anybody and uh, I've been uh, fortunate enough that I've spent uh, a lot of time a lot of years on the road and met a lot of guys that I've admired and so I, you know I started playing I was 11 years old and um, I, I guess I started playing, playing professionally when I was 16. You know, I could, we, you know, I was playing in bars with the guys who were a little older than me, and you know, it just uh, just became a habit. <laughs> well, it's it's amazing because you know it's, it's so funny. I always think you know because when you're that age, you really have no fear. I mean, at 16, I, you know, I think about it like when I used to do stand-up comedy in Philadelphia for many years. And Wow, you're a brave man. Ah, but it was, I did it was my job, you know. But yeah, we, we had comics yeah. who would come down who were like, this one kid named Ronnie Long was 16, and, and he had yeah. no fear on stage because we were worried yeah. about doing the right stuff and, you know, making the money come in. You know, you can't screw around. But now, when you were 16, did, when you started playing with these bands and being professional, did you know that this was your life? I mean, did you have any other, did you think maybe I'll do this, something else, or were you all focused on saying, music is, is, is what I'm going to do? Yeah, I, I, I guess, I, you know, I, I did. I, I knew, I remember, you know, there was a band that I joined a little, I, I was about 18, and there was a bunch of guys that were kind of local legends in the neighborhood in Levittown, a band called the Torpedoes, and one of the guys left the band, and I remember he, he when he left, he basically told everybody what his issue was with each band member, and he said, you, you're too ambitious. <laughs> and, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to, also, I wanted to play drums, but I wanted to play in bands that write write their own music and create their own music, and um, I was always looking for that. I mean, there were plenty of bands that were playing in clubs and things like that, and um, back back in that day, you know, we were fortunate enough that we could kind of throw a little bit of our own music in there. We'd usually get fired, but um, I, um, I always wanted to play with, play music, and I wanted to play original music from an early age and uh i was just real lucky you know um you know meeting up say like rob rob hyman and eric bazillion um you know i was playing in a bar in new jersey and they were actually i think they were looking for a lead singer and they found a drummer uh, recorded with them a week later and they were already doing stuff for arista records and things like that so um it, it was like working with real guys you know real players and uh, for me um it was great and and again you know it, it started a long journey with those guys i've been playing with rob and eric for 36 years it's amazing you know i mean as i said you know and people the band he's talking about is the hooters which is one of my favorite bands and uh thank you i thank I, you. I just it's so funny i i have like i have this i have the nervous night cd i had the cassette wow. I, I how about that cover man you look at that album cover i think about it i i work with uh it's funny the hooters are going out for about 30 shows in Europe. We leave on June 7th. We have some U.S. states we're doing, but mostly in Europe. And, and I work with Eric quite a bit. I mean, I, I, he's got a studio close to my house. And when I get my sessions through Davey Drums, I have a website where people send me tracks. I go over there and I cut. And uh, he helps me with those. And then, of course, I, I return the favor by playing on anything he has, which is always a joy because he's such an incredible artist and writer. Um, player um so uh you know we we work in other uh other capacities other than the hooters you know so um it's been a lot of fun and we spent a lot of time together yeah it's, it's amazing i mean did you did you guys i mean when you started playing i mean philly just embraced you and it was a time because i remember 
you know, I had your first album was Amore, I believe. Yeah. It I had... sold 150,000 copies. I remember originally it was, uh, you know, we, it, this is 1983. So we released, uh, we, we, it was an independent record. We, you know, the band paid for it. We went to the studio, like a lot of bands, especially in LA and stuff, the DIY, we made our own record. And the Delaware Valley, which, you know, Philadelphia, we played in Baltimore and DC and we'd get up to New York. But New York was a tough go for us because it just, you know, we had to build a big a fan base before anybody would really take us seriously. But that Amore record just really uh, exploded for us. And then someone got the bright idea that they should do a look a contest at the high schools. And we did some sort of ridiculous, like millions of cards that came in. And we were playing these high schools. And it was just the greatest thing back in the day, you know, doing that. And it gave us leverage uh, with the record company in 1985 that uh, we, we, I, had our sights set on Columbia Records, and we got signed by them, and uh, and we made Nervous Night. We did three three records with them: Nervous Night, One Way Home, and Zigzag. Well, it's it's amazing, you know, because as I said, it's you know, it goes from. I remember, okay, I went to Richard Stockton. Now it's Richard Stockton University. I went to Stockton State College. Yeah, I and, remember that. I remember that. I remember that show. And you guys played, and Tommy Conwell opened for you. And I'm yeah. thinking that was '83. And I think one of you, because we were walking out, me and my friends, back to the dorms. I think one of you guys drove a rabbit. I have a really good memory. I, 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 I drove a rabbit. Okay, I think you guys were loading equipment into your rabbit. Yeah. And, well, yeah, it was Eric and I. We both had, you know, it could have been him. Uh, I think he had one. I think I had. I know I had one because I remember I bought it off of John Kuzma, who, who was in the, in the band at one time. So, uh, yeah, that could have been Eric or myself. Well, you played there, but it was so funny because we knew you so much because of the South Jersey kids because of WMMR. But yeah. then, then the North Jersey kids didn't know you as much because this was before Nervous Night, I believe. Yeah. And yeah. it was just amazing because then, you know, when, you're, when Nervous Night came out, I remember I had a guy I knew who was an exchange student in – and. He, well, he went out of seas. I'm sorry. He, he went to our concert, but he went to Australia. And he yeah. said, when he went to Australia, the Hooters were huge. Huge. Yeah, we played big shows in Australia. Um, uh, you know, really, that, it's a, that's a country that I really wish we would have gone gone back to because we, I think we had like a double platinum album there. And we played, uh, we played some great shows in the audience. And the fans to this day have been really good to us, you know. But it's been been years since we've been back there. That's one long flight. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. I mean, I've heard but, it's crazy. But I would go in a second. Um, I still really enjoy getting out to play. I like getting in shape to go to play. It's uh, you know, it's it's just the it's the greatest thing. Now, what do you? I mean, how does someone as a musician? You know, as I said, when you guys you start playing this band, you're getting some heat. Um, how does one sit there and even? I can't even imagine comprehending what it's like to be huge in Australia when you guys were probably never there before and it just must be so random how things like that happen I mean what's going through you guys mind when you sit there and you go okay we're selling some albums we're getting heat and we're getting heat out here but we're huge in Australia I mean what what goes through and you're young guys what goes through your Uh, mind uh, we that was that was really mind-blowing that that was almost it was dreamlike uh, flying in January to Australia where it was, I think, about 90 degrees in Sydney 
And, um, you know, I, I, it's funny, too, because I, I remember becoming friendly with guys from Midnight Oil and uh, John Ferris from Finn in Excess and knowing some of those musicians that I really, really like to watch play. And uh, we actually did some shows, but it was really something. Uh, the most weird, the weirdest thing for me is I, when we did Nervous Night, All You Zombies, which is a song we've been playing since 1981 or 80, uh, that became, I think, a top five single in Germany. And it was the most one unusual song that would you'd think would become a hit record. And that was, you know, just thinking about it was a bit bizarre. Um, but again, as someone that, you know, you, you're, you're super happy about it, we were, we were thrilled. Now, also, which amazes me is, you know, you're, you're, you're Philly guys, and then Live Aid comes to Philly. Yeah. And they choose you to play. Now, if my listeners, if you're younger, you don't, Live Aid, first of all, people, it was, it was before, you know, you had uh, all these TV networks, but yet every, yeah. but MTV was blowing up. It was a global event. It was like a global, global yeah. event because we, we got to see bands from England playing there. I think there were four or five shows going on at the same time. And this is 1985. And something that Bob Geldof put together, and uh, Bob, I don't, I'm not. There's people that said he, he, didn't, he didn't want us on the bill, but he didn't know who we were. And I think he oversee the show. And Bill Graham and our manager at the time just thought, hey, you know, what an opportunity! And for us to be seen in London at 9 a.m. in the morning, it, you know, I walked on stage. Jack Nicholson, you know, uh, shook my hands and go get him, kid. You know, it was <laughs> right. It was. It was incredible. incredible. <laughs> well, what's it like to play in such? And you, you played at, at at the vet. I mean, first of all, I know you're you're a big Eagles fan, as I am. I'm, huge, I'm a huge Eagles fan. I'm kind of pissed off at Sam Bradford lately, you know, about what's going on. I'm really happy about the Carson Wentz, uh, uh, you know, him being our first choice. I'm I'm really happy about that. We actually played. Listen to this. I heard. I was listening to Sports Talk this morning, and they were talking about a show we opened for the Who. In 1982, uh, it was The Clash, Santana, and The Who, and uh, we opened for them at JFK, JFK Stadium, and um, and that's where actually Live Aid was at JFK Oh, Stadium, yeah, you're right. Which was uh, an incredible, incredible experience. For us, Live Aid, you know, you, you go on, and every major artist uh, that day um, were at JFK. It was just really something. Well, what's it like though to play in, sun, in, in front of such a huge crowd? Because I I saw the Stones with yeah. George Thorogood and yeah. Journey at there, right. and, and I also saw Madness, Joan Jett, REM, and the Police there, and yeah. it was such a big thing. What is it like for you guys, your local guys, and you're playing now? You're playing worldwide. Did you get a little nervous? Was there a little uh, rumbling in the <laughs> stomach before you got on stage? Yeah, yeah, I, I have to tell you, absolutely. I mean, the, the adrenaline was off off the charts, you know, doing a show like that. And the crazy thing, uh, let's say 82, when we opened for The Who, we were playing so much that when we opened for The Who, we, were, we had to leave because we had a gig in Richmond, Virginia that night. I remember leaving, going out of the venue and watching, you know, Pete Townsend walk on stage. And I'm thinking, I can't believe I... I can't stay for this. Right. <laughs> it was a different story with Live Aid because we hung around for the whole thing and we got to do the big finale with you know with you know Keith and Bob Dylan and Ron Wood and all those people and it, it, it was it was a, a remarkable experience you know being around that and seeing the pros do it and it, for for us it was always 
an educational process uh, you know, going from playing. We were a bar band that did original music. Initially, it was ska, and then, you know, a Nervous Night was a bit of a surprise for us because we never really went in to make a hit record, and it just became a hit record. Um, we started fooling around with mandolins and uh, dobros and things like that, and, uh, uh, and it just became a thing, a sound for us. And a Nervous Night really kind of took, took us over the top, and the rest was it. And the funny thing is that following following follow-up record that is a record called One Way Home, which had Johnny B on it that became, it's one of our signature songs, but it's in Germany and places, Switzerland. Um, so um, the music business has been very good to us. Now, the music, I should say the music, I should say the music business. The music has been very good to us because the business at times we're not too happy about, but the fact that fans still can get to our music, hear our music, the internet has changed a lot for us uh, worldwide. So again, like Live Aid being global, you know, social media has been very good for the Hooters. Well, now, now you also, didn't you play in the Amnesty International show at Giant Stadium? We did. We now, did that. Um, we also played with Roger Waters at the Berlin Wall. Um, he was, he, you know, we were playing at the Town and Country in London in 19, I think it was like 1988, and him and his wife came to see the band and he, you know, we because what we did with All You Zombies, The Wall was always a record that we would always turn to sonically and look at that, and and that's kind of our big anthem song, and 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 we credited the Pink Floyd with you know inspiring us and and Roger Waters, and then and then he invited us to open for him at the Berlin Wall, which was a big one as well, Amnesty International. When you get into a, a, when you look at say a hundred thousand people or more, it just becomes like a sea. You're looking at the ocean, and it's uh, a phenomenal feeling that you always. Uh, it's like a drug, an incredible drug. How but do you? How do you? Sorry, go ahead. I said it's like a good drug. Yeah, well, now how do you concentrate though? I mean, when there's, I, I would just think because I've talked to other guests about this, and it, it just must be amazing when there's. So much energy coming your way. I mean, you know, you think of the forces. You know, when you just, when you meet, you go to a ball game and you're in the crowd and you hear cheering, there's that energy. But when that cheering of massive amount of people is coming towards you, I mean, it just must be, is it exhilarating? Is it a little scary? I mean, I mean how do you feel? Because there's, it's, it feels like it almost knock you over. All the above. Uh, every time. I mean, I think that's why we do it. And that's why we've been doing it so long because it's intoxicating. And, you know, there's always like, who I, I was talking to somebody yesterday about performing and, oh yeah, yeah a, a friend of mine who was a great guitarist. And he said, you know, I, before I go on stage, I'm always a little tired. And it's like that adrenaline because you're ready to get that push. And then it's, it's, it, it really is, um, it's intoxicating. That's why we all do it. And I think there's, um, and you know you have to take care of yourself to do it. Uh, for all of us, we're not we're not very uh, we're you know, <laughs> say to say we're in our sixties, so we got to take care of ourselves to get out there to rock it. And uh, but um, it, it is all about what you feel and what you're getting from the audience, uh, big or small. To be honest with you. Now, now, how did you originally? You well, you said those guys found you. They're looking for a yeah. singer. But did they? Did, did you join the band right away? And then was it weird to just join a new band? Yeah, it was. I, I'll tell you my uh, my experience with Eric and Rob. I, I remember 
um, they invited me over to this place they had in Maniunk, uh, PA. We even had a song called Maniunk, PA. And um, they invited me over to record some songs. Eric was doing some sort of film thing. And I recorded four songs with them. And I remember I just packed up my gear after it was done. And I said, see ya. And I walked away. I think the word was like, he's someone weird cat. Man. <laughs> it's like, uh, but we connected musically. And I love them because they were so, you know, they were great. And um, and then shortly afterwards, they, they said, well, we're thinking about putting a band together. And Eric happened to be playing with a couple guys that I played with. And he said, we're thinking about inviting them as well. And that was really the start of the Hooters. It was the, initially in 1980, it was Eric Bazilian, Rob Hyman, myself, uh, a guy named John Kuzma and Bobby Woods, who both are not with us anymore. But that's how far back we go back, you know. And, uh, and then as bands go, they, they went on to do Cindy Lauper's uh, record, and, uh, which became a massive record. And we took a break at that point. And when they came back to reform the group, they called me and said, hey, would you come play drums? And we got a couple of John, John Lilly and we got a guy named Rob Miller and uh, they joined the band. And uh, and then that's when they still, we made the, the El Amore record and things just really took off. It was really a great time uh, uh, because there were a lot of places to play. And we, we just it, like the just stars just lined up and um, it, 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 it was just a great time for us. Mm-hmm. And uh Done, you know. What was it like in Philly at that time? Because you know, I you know, I didn't go it was back. Nuts. I mean, yeah, because I'm thinking because I didn't go back for a long time. So my parents moved to Delaware, and then when I started dating my girlfriend, I was by coastal for two years. And when I did comedy in the late '80s, early like early '90s, you know, where the Comedy Factory outlet was, where Bank Street yeah. and Off Market Street was just dead, and you know, there's Kyber Pass around the corner off yeah. Chestnut. Yeah. But now it's totally redone. I mean, it, it's the yeah. whole old city. But haven't a lot of the, the music bands closed, like music bars that were down there closed? Yeah, well, it, it, there's, there aren't as many places, um, it, it seems to me, uh, for bands to play. I remember the, the difference now. I remember there, there were records. Now, you know, we have Record Store Day, and you see these little mom-and-pop great record stores that are, these people are still keeping that business alive. But back in the day, we had Sam Goody's, Wall to Wall Sound. There were... We would do these in stores, and it was like a scene. You know, we would go and um, we, there was a place called Plastic Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was like a total different, uh, different vibe, and there was like this energy because, uh, you know, even like nowadays, you do your market marketing online, and people, you know, do build their grade, they're following that way. Back in the day, you were putting up uh, flyers. On on, le- on 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 walls and things like that. You mentioned Delaware. Do you remember that place? This did you know the Stone Balloon? Yeah, yeah, place? I remember. I remember all the. Yeah, I remember we, all those we places. Play, we used to play there a lot. We used to play the Nine Thirty Club down in DC, and there was a place. Oh God, I forget the name. We used to play in Baltimore Hammerjack. Yeah, Hammerjacks. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, like, I mean, for years we just lived in a van and just just toughed it out and. Uh, the Bayou in D.C., um, you know, there's just so many great places. I, I just think it's really hard for, for, for bands to find places to play like that back in the day. There were all kinds of uh, places to play. Um, and uh, I, I think that's a bit of a shame. Now, you guys also, when you played, I, I may be wrong, but I thought in the beginning, or when I first started seeing you, did, weren't you guys all like color coded? Like Eric wore black. Did you wear yellow? Yeah. Were you the yellow guy? Uh, you know, 
people give me a hard time about that. I picked that color. I had a friend of mine, like, this is like 1980, and even when he's wearing yellow suits, and I like And then recently, when I watched his great video, Prince, he was wearing a yellow suit. I went, I liked it. So I, I had, and also I was a big fan of a, a drummer named Tony Williams who had yellow drums. So when I got a deal, when Tama offered to give me drums, I said, can you paint those drums yellow for me? And <laughs> and they did. And uh, But yeah, we did. It, it, initially, we weren't that. But then as, as, as the 80s started progressing into more of the 80s, as we see with the air and all, um, we had actually somebody that was a stylist. And I can't believe I'm admitting to this. But, you know, she was like, I, I think you should wear colors. And um, and that's what we did. And uh, for, for I think for about a, for a year and a half or something, it surely made it was like wearing a uniform to school. <laughs> well, that's funny though, sir. I... Oh, but look, if you look at Devo, I mean bands like that, people bands did some 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 goofy stuff. I I, I remember at one point before we got into colors, we were all wearing bowling shirts with our names on it. I mean, <laughs> it, this is nineteen eighty three, you know, and uh, it was. Um, I, 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 and, and the strange thing, it didn't seem bizarre to me at the time. Hey, we know we used to think it was cool. Like I remember a guy because we used to talk yeah. to some guys like, yeah, the one wears uh, one. Uh, Eric wears uh, black, and I think hey, Rob wore Rob. white. Rob, Rob was the good guy. Yeah, <laughs> and you wore yellow, and I think there was yeah, a red. There was no, a red and a blue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that was John Lilly, and at the time Andy King, who was with us for a couple of years. We've been to and Fran Smith. He, he he got in the band when we we weren't we were just wearing like what we wear. I mean, we think about it obviously when we go on stage, but there's nothing like like that. Um, it's funny, Fran's been with us for 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 since 1988, so a lot of years. <laughs> but he missed the color phase. Yeah, where where do you? I mean, I'm thinking though, where I, I had a yellow blazer. I'll, I'll admit it. But where do you find yellow clothes? It's not like oh, like I, the guys I, with the black and the white got it easy. I, paid somebody to find it i could not find it it's like here you know she went out and she said here put this on you know what she did to me once she gave me this rubber rubber shirt to put on like it was like a rubber uh like a, a t-shirt but with your sleeveless arms and i put this on and i thought i was gonna die because it didn't breathe you know and i'm playing this thing and they couldn't get it off me it was stuck to my skin it was insane so i mean that's the kind of crazy stuff we did back in the day. Now, as you guys started getting bigger and getting, I mean, you're always recognized in Philly. What is that yeah. like? I mean, because, you know, first of all, because I, I know you, MMR gave you a lot of airtime. You know, MMR was great. And, and there's a there's a DJ. I mean, they, they're all wonderful. But Pierre Robert right. uh, was, and he's still a dear friend and he's been somebody that just, he just loved the band. He moved here from San Francisco and he, he came, uh, it may have been about like 84 and the band was like, just like on this, just moving and he he just kind of he's been wonderful you know for for many years uh, you know philly of course and, and and it's oddly enough different places of the country like i remember a dj down in dallas his name was Redbeard. he was like one of the first guys to play us outside of, of of philadelphia but mmr was the one that actually we did the school they think it was like a school spirit concert thing that somebody won a concert with us but what happened was all these schools they all wanted the concert, so after the school that won the concert, there were there were students that said, "Well, will they come play our school?" And you know, so it was work for us. You know, they will put money together. I mean, back in the day, you say we'll give you ten bucks. A, I forget, maybe ten, seven bucks a ticket, and you have, uh, you know, a thousand kids in a gymnasium. That adds up. Right. 
Now, it was cool. Now it's fun. It's, I, went, I went to my... I know it's funny because you posted a picture of pizza the other day. And, uh, yeah, and, I'm a big pizza. I like to eat, Steve. Well, you know what's funny about the pizza is because in California... You really it's can't not, find. It's not good. No, I mean, I know you live in San Diego. I know. I've had arguments with people back there. I'm going look. You know, they, they, they but, but, you know, I, I remember uh, when I was living in Woodland Hills. I was, I lived in California for about 20 years, and I remember I was living in Woodland Hills, and um, uh, uh, what's it, the great singer from Jersey, Steve Perry, was a big pizza guy, and he came over to my place, and we went hunting for pizza, and we found a place over there, I think, near Reseda. And the guys used to ship the water in from Boston. Now, it wasn't Philly or New York pizza, but it was the closest you could get. It still wasn't, I think it's the air. Well, it's weird. You know, it's funny because I know you also lived in San Diego. And I lived in San Diego for a while. Right. And I cracked up because when I was down there, you know, my my friend was like, yeah, you got to go to this place called Sammy's Woodfire Pizza. And they have this barbecue chicken pizza. And I'm going, what the hell is that? That's not pizza. You know, and you go in, and I'm like, it's got barbecue sauce. You know, give me, and it's crazy. But no, the reason I'm, reason I'm bringing a pizza up is my buddy has a, his, his landlord has a pizza oven in his backyard. And so I was eating pizza the other day, and I was talking to these young kids, and I want to see what your input this is. Because we were talking about the young kids and new music, and they said they didn't get excited for any new music. These kids are like 24. And I, I told them the whole thing about the whole concept of when you bought an album. Like when, when I followed music and when you guys, you know, when you put your first albums out, you wanted every song to be good because to yeah. be honest, you wouldn't, people weren't going to buy an album. If someone said, that was the whole thing. Someone would say, oh yeah, yeah, their album, well, the first two songs you go, but the rest sucks. And no one's going to buy uh, it. But oh, what I is, remember, I remember getting, I remember getting an album, uh, I forget what I'm not gonna mention a band, but I remember getting an album and the one it was like one song and everything was just crap and which which I mean album back then people really took pride in making an album. Wait, so so what is it like for you now when you look at newer bands and and just the way the music industry's changed where people you know they can just you, you never really get to know a band. I mean, if you guys had come out now. You know, yeah. people may have just listened. You, people might go, oh, that's a good song. I'm going to yeah. pay my 99 cents. I mean, as a musician, is that a little bit frustrating to you? Yeah. I, you know, look, I, I'm just glad we came up when we came up. Uh, and But there, I, look, there are certainly the one thing that, that that's happened. Like, you look at YouTube and you can learn anything. I know musicians that, like, I, we used to learn music from other musicians or learn it from a record. Now you have so many resources to learn so much. So there's these kids, kids that play, they're off the hook. The thing that we had that was really great is that we had the community, like you'd put a band together and you would grow as a band. Um, you know, I don't know if that happens as much, you know. There's a lot of guys that just stay in their basements and they play, but, you know, like, like I, I, you know, I tell my son or everybody, it's like, hey, look, you gotta get out and play as an ensemble man just so you can play. But that kind of experience, um, you know, there are those, like, I, I was a judge at the uh, School of Rock. They had their all-star thing they were putting together, and I was blown away by how great some of these musicians are. There are, are places that are trying to create environments for that kind of thing. But still, it's like that singular thing. I think it's really important, the band unit, you're like a gang, right? <laughs> so to speak. You are, you're like a gang. And uh, that's your that's your gang, and and um, so 
uh, that um, I, 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 it's, it's still out there, but I don't know if it's out there like it was out there back in, say, the 80s when I, we were coming up. Now, I want to talk a little more about the Hooters, but I want to talk about some of your uh, other projects that are going on. Oh, cool. And uh, cool. I know you, uh, well, you said that it's the Dave U Drums. How did, how did you come up with that idea? Oh, well, I got this, well, that, that's, that's my, like, one of these side things. That, you know, look, if you're a musician and you're going to make a living at it, you've you got to find other ways besides, like, you know, look, I, had a great, I have a great career with the Hooters. It's really good. I got good dates, but... You know, when I'm home, you know, what else are you going to do? You either teach or you do sessions or you, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, what happened was for, for about five years, I worked for a company called mp3.com. And it was a technology company. And I, I helped manage the music with a group of other guys. And I wasn't a techie. I was a music guy. But I started seeing, uh, you know, ways to, to do things better, uh, say, like, and the thing that was happening with broadband and, and the internet is that it was allowing people to deliver music to other places and say if there was a problem at, at this company I worked at, they had this thing called a bug ticket. And all these people would, would you know, talk through this one ticket uh, or this, this uh, you know, they would make notes out here. Um, I took that idea and I created Debut Drums as it's like a website where people can go and hire me to play on their music and they don't even have to talk to me if they want they, they, there's a there's a there's a, a a spot there when they open an account that says tells me you know what tempo they want any notes they want to leave uh, any you know the payment the whole nine yards it's all done there and all the communication there and a lot of times say with musicians or, or people communicating you know things get lost but this is where we keep track of all that um, like what was said, this, you wanted this, you wanted a break on the second, on the third, fourth bar or whatever, this thing. And, um, but I created that so I can work for musicians that live in, you know, Switzerland or whatever. They could send me a track. So over the last, uh, God, how long have I been doing this? I guess about 10 years I've been doing drum tracks for people that I don't even see. They just send me the music and I'll play on it and I'll send it back to them. Isn't technology amazing? I mean, when you think about I mean, it. it, it I mean, yesterday I, I had an MP3 that I imported into, uh, you know, imported into Pro Tools, and and then you know I cut the drum track for these this artist down in Memphis, and then I cut it and sent it back to him. You know, there's a lot of great guys that are, you know, I know, you know, Kenny has his thing doing it. A lot of people that are doing that, and it's, it, you know, for me, it's just how do you interface with a client or an artist and make it simpler and easy and, and fun and enjoyable. And it, it, it's been remarkable. And that's where the technology has been, been really, really good for me. And then it also, the technology has actually been something, and, and my experience with mp3.com was something I kind of moved on with my project in the pocket where I record all the Philly songs because I wanted to, when you talked about the album experience, that's, that's lacking today. And when I record these singles that I record these Philly songs, I um, I do a short documentary with my a guy I work with, Steve Aceto from Blue Wire Meter. He creates a documentary of the song, the story of the song, the players that are playing on it, all those things that information that I wanted when I used to look at the album jacket for hours. I would stare at that album cover and like I want to know, you know, who's assisting on the engineer or the uh, the this session, who's you know, the, the, the assistant. I, I wanted to know everything about the artist and the process. 
So I wanted to provide that with in the pocket. Um, so it's it's a um, it's been uh, really really fun, and that all came from again technology. How okay? Well, first of all, how did you get in the technology field? I mean, how did MP3? Do, I mean, it's just it's random that you know a drummer. This guy's yeah. in a, you know he's their band's international. He's played Live Aid. He's he's well known. How did how did they did they approach you? I mean, how do you end up in the technology field? Well, it's crazy. I was living in San Diego, and I was, uh, I, I, you know, we took a break because everybody was having kids, and um, I was living there, and uh, I was like, well, I could sell drums, I could, you know, do this, and I was doing sessions, some sessions, some local session work for a guy in Lemon Grove, and there was a guy that was writing songs that was coming there. It was an attorney, um, was his day gig was an attorney, and he ended up landing this job managing the music over there for mp3.com early on this is like 1998 and um they what happened was that back if you think about it back then um it was even before really broadband and all these things it was like dial up and all these what happened was they ended up with like a hundred thousand songs and they invited me over there to check it out and the and the owner of the company said i got a hundred thousand songs in that hard drive and i couldn't believe it because i come from CDs and, and albums. I was like, wow, how do you do that? And and then uh, I got shortly afterwards, um, as the company was getting more publicity and more of these uh, unsigned bands joining up, because there weren't signed bands there, um, he said, can you come over here and help us manage this or identify what this music was? Because you were all engineers. It was all about being, they, they knew that I, um, I worked in music, so they thought, well, I might know something more about a blues song or a rock song or a hip hop song than the engineer might, which wasn't entirely true because a lot of those engineers knew a lot about music. It's just they hired me to kind of start identifying and then we started quantifying and looking at identifying, you know, how do we market that? It was like a phenomenal time. And I was so, I'm so grateful to have had that experience because um, it, 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 it actually broadened my whole music career afterwards. And uh, because I, I, I just because I, I, I tried to honestly, I think I tried to stop playing, but I couldn't. Right. And uh, but then I just um, took that stuff that I learned from working in a technology company. And I said, oh, how do I make my job easier? And look, man, everything is crazy. I mean, we I get music delivered to my phone and we got apps now. And, you know, but it was such a fantastic time. I remember working for that company and having, uh, you know, Chris Blackwell. One day I was there. Ike Turner was in my office. Uh, uh, Chris Blackwell there, Master P, all these like giants and uh, Amy Man. They were all there in one day uh, because they wanted to find out what is this new thing. And then of course we got sued <laughs> and uh, then bought out by Universal. And uh, but the company was a successful company because I think they sold it to Universal for almost four hundred million bucks back in. Like early two thousand and two. Well, you stayed in the tech field after that, though, for a while, right? Yeah, I actually got. Believe it or not, I remember the guy that owned it invited me to work for. Um, I was a good employee, man. So he invited me to do QA at this company that I wasn't really. It was a Linux format. I remember I had to. I remember one guy said, "Can you work in this format?" I said, "You know, you just learn things." And um, I, I, I was a. Um, you know, look, I always thought I was slower than the other guys, but to be honest with you. I always liked learning and uh, it was a great experience because, you know, I worked there. It wasn't, we were hoping that it would be involved with music. And at one point he even moved on to try to do some things with music, but it didn't work out. But 
I, I, I stayed there for, uh, for, I think, you know, I worked in that field for almost about seven, eight years and still played because for some reason, you know, it, it just, it interests me. And um, I found it fascinating. And again, like, you know, and fortunately, uh, I had some great friends. There's a, a company called Six String Media. My friend Damien Hager has this company and they build apps and, uh, and and websites for like big companies and I, I, I was working with those guys and they built debut drums for me and you know if I didn't have my experience at mp3.com I never would have known how to do any of that or even just ask for it I w it would have been like what is this but you know it's amazing what like smart people can do yeah well then where'd it you where you live in San Diego I lived in Santee okay I lived yeah I, I loved it out there man I, I it was great so now, when did you move back, and what brought you back to Philly? Well, like the uh, yeah, divorce brought me back. I, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I my, my wife and I broke up, and uh, I, I met a, a beautiful. I mean, actually, it's funny. I shouldn't say I met her. My, my fiance is somebody that I've known for forty. I traveled the world with her. I went to you know Japan, and we didn't go to Australia, but we've been all over Europe together. And she worked for a management company, and. You know, she her marriage ended, my marriage ended, and we ended up together. And she's my partner within the pocket, and she does my she helps me with my PR, and she's just incredible. So she, I always kid people. I say she put Humpty Dumpty back together again because you know I was kind of like if if you know know anybody's been through a divorce, it's very difficult, and uh, I was very sad, and she made me happy again. So um, you know that's what brought me back. I I, I was I, what happened was I'd come back to work with the Hooters, and. And um, I'd, I'd always go, like, I'd go back to my, I, I had an apartment outside, like near Long Beach, and of all places, and uh, I would go back, and then one Thanksgiving, I never went back. Wow. So, so now, yeah. tell us a little more about In the Pocket, because that's what you're working on, and it's a great, it's a great uh, program, and Thank it's just cool, especially if you are, you know, just because there is so much great Philadelphia music. How did you come about getting this started, and what does it benefit, and tell me a lot of what encompasses it. Initially, now it's just it kind of. Well, initially, it, it, it was I was walking through Rittenhouse Square with Down, and uh, it was like when I got off the road and okay, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I think I want to start recording some stuff, and and I had these ideas, ideas about a project, but not like a regular record. I, I wanted to do, you know, you were saying like now people want singles, you know, and at the time I was thinking I just want to put out a song every three months of something that came out of Philly and the way I wanted to do it was we use Philly guys playing on it that I never get a chance to play with um, that I've always wanted to work with and we'd pick a song and we'd go in back like you know these old days these sessions that they used to do at Stacks back in the day all these guys would come in and they'd work on the arrangement and they'd come up with the key and then I would bring in these different singers that I really admired from Philadelphia and they would record the song and then we would videotape the song and we would do a quick um, uh, history about the song we did. And it's not always like there were some B-sides of artists that, that, that um, I call it In the Pocket, David Austin is In the Pocket, Essential Songs of Philadelphia. Now, I just picked the songs that, it, that inspired me. So it's not like I'm looking at some sort of list. It, you know, we, we do different genres. I've done, I, I recorded Disco Inferno and I used TJ Tyndall and this guy Graham Alexander. And there was an artist that I love. His name was Joey Wilson, who I remember he was like a, a, a folk hero from, from South Street. And uh, 
and I saw him on Don Kirshner's rock concert. I wanted to do one of his songs. A band, I don't know if you remember the A's. Yeah, yeah. I did Woman's, I did Woman's Got the Power with Patti Smythe came in and sang it, who was, lived in Philadelphia for a while, and she has got some Philly roots. And uh, But I would always grab these great players. I, I most recently did um, Backstabbers. Um, and you could see and hear the stuff, and there's T-shirts. It's really grown. The website is called songsinthepocket.org, songsinthepocket.org. And if you go there, there's a video of all the songs, and there's a photo albums of each session. And it's that kind of experience, a visual experience, that go along with an audio experience, a listening experience, if you will. And um, we do it all in a day. You know, we record it. Um, we, we, you know, sometimes we mix it. A lot of times we mix it, and it's done in a day. Um, but it's kind of a community experience that I wanted to share with my Philly people. You know, but I want other people. There's like younger people that outside of Philadelphia, they can learn something new about music from back in the day. Now, where does all the proceeds go to? Well, uh, initially we started. Uh, it was uh, it was Settlement Music School, which was our 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 our, our first uh, benefactor of w- what we were doing. Like all the the downloads. I mean, our downloads right now are um, you know more we're more information based we're, we're all about education music education um, and there's certain schools that we really kind of uh, try to help out the Jackson school there in Philadelphia and, and things like that but it's all about the music uh, uh, education and music because those kinds of programs are being cut all the time and you know everybody in the, that plays on this are, are all about like trying to uh, you know, it's great when you see young people getting uh, to get getting to a place where they can do something positive, and music is really that. Yeah, it's it's you know, music is it's so funny because you think about it. Music is such a uh, important part of our lives. I mean, you know, I tell stories of just when I hear a certain song, you know, it, I go, God, this reminds me of this or that, and it's so important. And and it is it stinks because a lot of the schools are. Getting rid of the musical programs yeah. and and I did I and I, Steve, you asked earlier. I, I didn't play in the school band, which I wish I would have. I didn't do that. I, L.A. had the great drum course. I'm like a big. I love the drum course stuff. We didn't have that where I went to school, but we had a band, and I I didn't do that. But I remember in school, I always had bands that I put together with my friends. Uh, we were garage bands, and we would you know have a. You know, I had a band called the Kooks. We used to play at Hawk school concerts. You know, so um, it was just something that we we did. But again, um, it, like you were saying, you know, it's usually the on our program is usually the first to get cut. Right now, now, now in the pocket, how many songs do you plan to bring out, and how often are you do them? Well, right now there's fourteen. There's two records. There's a live record, and there's a record. Uh, there's a session. A record called Sessions. And um, we, we, we'll keep on going as long as people are listening, buying tickets to the shows. I mean, right now, you know, uh, I wish people were downloading the songs a little more than they are. But, you know, it, it is what it is right now. To, but when we play a show, we really, uh, the uh, people buy tickets. So as long as they're buying tickets, we'll keep on doing it. And you, did you recently have a show? We did. We played at a place called the uh, Ardmore Music Hall which is an old stomping ground of the Hooters. It used to be a place called 23 East. And we, um, we did a tribute to the Soul Survivors who had a song called Express It to Your Heart. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. It used to be at a, it, in Sea Isle City. They used to have a happy hour at the Springfield. And that used to be, they'd always play that. And like and Margate that would play. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It was Kenny Gamble's uh, Kenny Leon uh, Leon Huff, Kenny Gamble's first uh, first hit song, I believe. You know, and uh, uh, two white guys from New York singing a Blue Eyed Soul. You know, and they killed it. I don't, you sure those guys are white? Right. <laughs> they, they are like they are so badass, and they're such great singers. And next year would be the fiftieth anniversary of that song. And uh, like Springsteen has done it. It's just such a great track when you hear it. We play that live, and we did a tribute to those guys, and of course to my dear friend T.J. Tyndall, who played with Bonnie Ray and uh, uh, played on I know countless. I mean, he was like a session guy that played on all those hits that came out. Uh, uh, so many of them came out of Sigma. He worked with Tommy Bell and Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff, and he passed away a week before we did that session, and he was supposed to play on it. And Bobby Eli came in, sub for him, who also played on everything, David Bowie, anything that came out of Sigma. And uh, so we did a tribute to TJ and, of course, the Soul Survivors. Well, you know what's weird? I, I saw your post about TJ, and yeah. and I had done comedy with his wife was Anita Wise, right? Ah, and what a beautiful woman she is. Yeah, she's uh, she's great. And, and this, this, this we're doing a memorial benefit concert for TJ on May 22nd at the Underground Arts in Philadelphia. And you're invited. Um, and, and, and Anita, we're, we're doing this because Anita, that was a, a complete surprise to Anita. Uh, you know, he was, you know, he had some issues, but, you know, he went in and didn't come out. And uh, we want to try to help his family as much as we can. And I love Anita. She's wonderful. Now, the Hooters themselves, you recently, did, did you play at the Borgata or you're playing at the Borgata or? Yeah, we played, well, we did this, they had this big, they have this outdoor venue we played last summer and before we go on tour we're going to play at the event center there uh which is a it's a great venue at the Pogado on may 27th we're going to be playing with Southside johnny our friend Southside, and uh and uh it, that's going to be a rocket show what's it like i mean you know when you now because you've been together for so long and you guys must know each other's nuances on stage. I mean, you could do this yeah. stuff with your eyes closed. I mean, because you've been playing for so long. What is it like, though, when you sit there? What is your crowd like? Do you now see parents who come with their kids? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what's crazy. Like, I know, you know like friends of mine, because we're all big Springsteen fans, you know, who right. they, they've turned their kids on the Springsteen. What's it like when you see, you know, parents and they have their kids and probably some of grandkids? I mean, isn't that a weird experience, but so cool when you sit there and you go, God, you know, when we started out or when you started out playing drums in Levittown, I'm sure you never sat there and thought, wow, you know, 36 years or whatever years later, I would be playing in front of these people who have listened to us forever. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, the, the, what you're saying is so true. And, and of course, and I like to say I'm a big Bruce Springsteen, like Dallin myself for Big Springsteen. Dallin has ever misses a Springsteen show, so I don't. Um, but it, there is that, and I think what comes along with that, if you really have any kind of, uh, you, you realize the responsibility you have, basically, because, I mean, we always took our music seriously, and um, so uh, it's really, and it's like, uh, you can't, like, we never mail it in, ever, um, and uh, and I was so pleased yesterday, the other day, Eric was playing me some, some live recorded stuff from the Keswick Theater that we, we played two shows there last year, and it's really, really good. And the performances are really good. And I, as somebody that's been playing with them for so long, uh, it, it really makes you feel good that, um, you know, that kind of experience just happens for our fans where they can bring their kids and the band. Like, I mean, look, you know, I'm 
you know, they, <laughs> my biggest fear is they bring the kids and kids are like, oh my God, but usually what, what happened, but they come and it goes, I mean, these guys still throw it down. And um, each one of us to a man really, really still works at what we do. And, um, you know, we give up body parts to do it and we get fixed up and we go out and do it again, you know, and it's really good to have, uh, to see what you're talking about, the fans and they bring their families and things like that. That's really cool. Now, when, when's the Europe tour start? Uh, our first date is June 7th. Now, so, now where are you starting out at? Uh, Sweden. Where there's, there's, there's a couple, well, actually, yeah, there's, no, actually, there's two shows in Germany, and we go to play. There's a big festival we play. It's one of the biggest. It's called Sweden Rock. I mean, believe it or not, we did a show there a couple of years ago. And, you know, this only happens in Europe where the Hooters will play on the same stage as Ozzy Osbourne. And, you know, and it's just a cool thing. You know, it's uh, uh, that happens over there. And uh, so we, we're, we're doing Sweden Rock again, and then we go and do the whole festival thing. And, in, in Germany and Norway and uh, Switzerland. And then I think we finish up in, in, in Sweden uh, this summer. So now, because, you know, you guys are older. Yeah. It, what's the road like? I mean, is it, is it you know... It's, <laughs> we I all mean, bring our CPAPs with us. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know, you sit there, it's like, I mean, how has it changed when you guys, I mean, you just, you do your show and then you chill? Or do you hang out and watch some of the other bands? Or what's it like? Um, because it's got to be... Yeah, I always do, Steve. I'm, I'm like, if I can watch, because I'm like, uh, I, I like watching, and especially some of these young cats that are coming up, and, you know, bands that I've been fans of, and, uh, you know, uh, believe it or not, I mean, like, we're, we're like old war horses, but there's bands that, like, we were out with Status Quo, and those guys have been around forever, and they're just killing it. And, and uh, so I, if we, st- if we can, we stick around, we watch. Uh, but we, you know, I mean, there's all the reality of the doing, say, 30 shows um, in, cons- in consecutive shows. You know, you got a couple of days off here and there, but you know, you have to get your rest to be able to do that, and you know, do at the level that you want to do it at. And uh, but I love watching other drummers. You know, when I can see guys that I admire, uh, you know, I go out to see shows. I, I, I you know, one one guy that was. A, Guy that was a student of mine when it was a, it was a, when he was really young, he used to come to my house in San Diego. Elon Rubin plays with Nine Inch Nails. He's he's in town this week. I'm gonna go see him because he's like off the charts great. And now and then if I get a like I saw Mickey Curry from Brian Adams Band a, a couple months ago that was just all inspiring to me. I'm going man, you know that's how it's done. Uh, so yeah, I like to see it because it just gives me juice. Now now you said earlier you love food. So like love- when when you're in the road, do you like like because I always see like Anthony Bourdain and he says like yeah. the hot dogs in Sweden and Norway and I've you know do you do you like to do you go out of your way to try different delicacies because I think that'd be yeah. great if you're a foodie. Oh totally, man. I'm I'm like uh, yeah. I, if if you've ever asked any of the Hooter, they, they, you know I'm the eater. Although <laughs> and I paid the price for it in a lot of ways, but I'm the guy that is like uh, all of us enjoy our our food. Uh, but I, 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 I usually go anywhere and I'll try anything. Um, and, uh, I just, I love it. And my, my, my fiance is also in the restaurant business. She, she has a lot of clients at restaurants and so some really good ones. So, uh, I get to eat <laughs> pretty good. We, we have a few minutes left. Um, yeah. and, uh, so now 
Is it, do you guys are you creating new music? I know I saw you. You know yeah. I know you played with Eric, and I saw it was uh, played at a few stations. It was a song after the bombings. I think you uh, played yeah. with him on that. Now, does it is it just like spur of the moment? Like he'll call you, or you'll call him and go, "I'm, I'm, I'm I want to do this," or how's that work? Yeah, uh, well, it's funny. He's I use the studio quite a bit. So Thursdays over there, I'll be doing something. He said, "I got a track." Just yesterday, when I cut my track for debut drums, he had a song he played me. He goes, "Do." You, you know, I got this thing. You want to play drums on it? I mean, sometimes it's just right. Um, you know, he drugged me into the writing thing. I was never much of a writer, but I, I, I started playing guitar and doing things. And he's helped me become more of a writer. So we wrote some music together this year uh, that's quite good, you know, if I just say so myself. And uh, um, and he's such an experienced guy. So I'm just like blown away that he's been that generous with me. But um, he, he, it's usually something that we do uh because we're so close I'm, i live five minutes away from him okay so it, it really is a matter of like i you know his drums in there and he may have something he'll call me up in the spare morning i got something can you come play drums can you come put drums down on this I'm like, yeah i mean I, I i i just love that you know i love that i can do that now now uh i see your posts on facebook sometimes do you go to a lot of eagles games well last year i went to four i went to four eagles games and uh I mean, I'm excited about, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm not sure about Peterson, but I, 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 you know, the Bradford thing got, has me a little bit annoyed because, I mean, the whole idea of just be look, the reality of football is that you're always drafting somebody to come and take your job. And if he hasn't really gotten the concept together, I shame on him, you know, and and do and you think Brady, like up there in New England, is worried about them drafting a new guy, it makes them better. And that's what bothers me about Bradford. It's like, dude, come on, man. You're making more money than like uh, like so many great players out there, and you haven't really proven it. Now, I'm, I'm, I think this guy, Carson Wentz, is, uh, looks like he could be really a solid guy, but, you know, he needs a year to, or two. to right. you know, What the Packers did with Aaron Rodgers was unbelievable. If we could do that, that would be incredible. And like the way Peterson came up with Donovan, um, you know, uh, you know, as a Peterson was a quarterback of the Eagles back in the day when when Donovan was was drafted, and Peterson knew that eventually he's going to come take his job. But Bradford is like, I, you know, these players today—they're idiots. Freaks me out. There's, yeah, I mean, come on, dude. Well, you're, I, you're an NFL. Pro, be a pro. We got to wrap up. Uh, yeah. You know, give give your info. Oh uh, well, uh, you know, well, you can songsinthepocket.org uh, is where you can get in the pocket. The Hooters music, uh, the Hooters uh, uh, music, uh, com, And of course, if you want me to play drums on something, debut, uh, debut drums, give me a holler uh, if you want my flavor to your tune. And um, I think that's it, right? So, yeah, so people check him out. Also, people follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Twitter. I, look, I'm, I'm uh, uh, D. Kinnon. Which, which is probably really confusing to people. Just and, type in uh, Hooters drummers in Google and you'll <laughs> find them. So yeah, people, please. follow him. Follow me on Twitter. Also, go to my website, coopertalk.net. Uh, I have over 500 episodes. You can send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net, and I will get back to you. Um, Instagram, coopertalk1. Words with friends, coopertalk1. Also, I'm joining the Actors Union. So if you go to GoFundMe dot com forward slash cooper talk you can get some cool stuff you can you know you donate you can get a shout out to the show you can get my low sodium cookbook stop the salt which you can also buy at stop the salt.com which i will autograph for you if you get there so people you know just keep listening 
go look up the Hooters. You know, I love the band. I love the, I just, it's great to have uh, Dave on my show. So people follow him, go to check out all his websites, Google him. His name is U-O-S-I-K-K-I-N-E-N. It's easy enough. And yeah, and that's about it. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week. And don't forget, at Cooper Talk on Twitter. All right.